Well, I'm quite sure I will probably step on some toes today, but it's a message with an important principle to follow if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. And when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, there are only three institutions that God ordained and instituted. First of all, it's government, then there's the family, and then there's the church. And it's often easy to understand that institutions that have been around so long as government and family, um, they, they would have been ordained of God. But however, the church is often viewed, viewed a little bit differently at times. The church, though, is a living organism, ordained of God. And the church exists for many reasons, and a lot of people have a lot of ideas of what they think church is. But can I just say this this morning? If we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, we will want to be committed to his church. That should be something that is ingrained within us. And let me just say that I say it often. I love church. Um, to me, there is no greater thing to be a part of than a local church. I love it. My greatest memories in life, apart from precious memories having to do with families have to do with church. Um, I was a snotty-nosed little bus kid that got picked up at five years old. And uh, I was that kid, and I was talking to someone the other day, you just go with, your other, go, with, go, with your, go with your brother to his class. I was that kid. I didn't really want to go that week, but mom and dad made me go, and I'm glad they did. Because it changed my life. The Sunday I did not want to go to church was the Sunday I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior at five years old. I remember it like it happened five minutes ago. I love church. My greatest memories revolve around being a part of a church. Um, growing up, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to do things with my own dad because he was handicapped. But I had two or three guys in the church that took me under their wings and really just invested in me. They were like my honorary dad for the day at the father-son retreats. Um, those things that we had where we came together and you know, God used them mightily in our lives to draw us closer to himself. Why somebody would not want to be a part of a local church, I will never understand. Well, let me put a caveat on that. I know that there are some churches that just aren't real fun to be a part of. I know that pastors can be dictators. I can say that because I are one, and I hope I'm not that guy. Um, but I've seen them before. Pastors just do whatever they want, go roughshod over everybody, and that's sad. And then you have churches where, because this family's been there for 55 years, they make all the rules regardless of what anyone else wants. You have that. But hopefully, we're a body of believers that work together to carry out what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. Right? But I hope you love the church. And I hope you're committed to it. I hope we understand that Jesus Christ gave his life for it. He sacrificed for it. And sometimes I think... At least in my opinion, we take it flippantly what God is wanting to do through the local church. Sometimes we have an understanding, better understanding what church is not. For many people, it's a building, and buildings require money, and money is it's all about the pastor getting more money and begging for more money and doing more money for this and more money for that. And, and if that's the view, then it's a wrong view. Some people have the idea that it's a social club, a country club. This is where we're going to gather for all of our activities. And if this is the only place where you do activities, you're missing out on what God wants you to do in life. Because even Jesus Christ was in the world, but not of the world. They had to be in the world to reach the world, right? So are, there are some things outside of church that you must be a part of if you're going to reach the lost world around you. 
Some people have the idea it's a business. Though there are some factors of a, biz, of a church that need to be taken serious as a business, but it's not a business. If we looked at churches oftentimes the way some businesses run, we might improve quite a bit. Some people just have the idea that, you know, we can just do whatever we want and just whatever happens, happens while we claim ignorance at the end. That's not the case either. It's not a museum of historical records and of the past. And, you know, some churches, they live in the past and what God did 50 years ago. And let me just say this, and I say it from my heart, if our best years are behind us, what are we doing here? I hope that the best years are in front of us, right? I hope that we're still anticipating God doing some great works in front of us, right? I hope that we're still excited about what God's going to do. We're not just showing up, putting in our time. We're just kind of, you know, just kind of biding until Christ comes. No, I hope we're excited about what God's going to do. So it's not a, a recollection of things that God did in the past, although we praise God for what he's done, but we don't live there, do we? We look forward to what God's going to do. It's not a democracy either at times. Kind of get the idea that, well... I think I know better, and I'm going to push it. I'm going to kind of, you know, and, I, and folks, I know churches that do this. They have members that haven't been there for 20 years, but they're going to, bless God, get them all out for the big meeting to make sure that we don't do what we don't want to do. It's not a democracy. It's a theocracy run by God. Got a little quiet there for a minute. However, God's word is clear about what church is. A church is a local body or family of Christian believers who have been baptized and have been united to carry out God's purposes and will, both personally and corporately. It's a body of believers, baptized believers, who have come together to do one thing, carry out the will of God. And it's not about what we want or what one individual wants. It's about what we need to be doing as a body of believers to carry out the will of God. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Um, I was just thinking... Last night as I was typing some things, you know, there are so many churches. There, there is a church for every women wham under the sun. There really is. I mean, if you think that all these things are okay and this, this is your liberty in Christ and you want to do that, there's a church for that. I mean, there is a church for every will and whim that you could possibly think of. If you want to get drunk on Friday night and go to church on Sunday, there's a church for that. There is. People laughing, but there's a church for that. Here in Rochester. They're everywhere. But to stand up for what we know is right and to, and to promote what God has for us to do, that's a different subject. But there's all kinds of churches. There's self-help churches. Every week's a, a different part of six this and seven that and eight this. Rather than looking at what God's word has for us and working our way through it. But are we committed to the body of Christ? Are we committed to the local fellowship that he has us to be a part of? So God's word is clear about what a church is. It's a local body of believers, a family of Christian believers who've been baptized, have united, been united to carry out God's purposes and will both personally and corporately. And let me just say, a local body does have qualified leadership. And we're not going to look at all this because I dealt with this a couple years ago. But there are deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. There are elders and the shepherd leaders in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 5. There is leadership, so it's not just pastors running rogue. At least it ought not be that way. It ought to be pastors working together to do the work of, the, the work of, the, uh, of, of God in, in the local assembly. A local body is often compared to a physical or human body. 
So if you would this morning, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to come back at the very end with an important question of what is our commitment to the local church? We've been talking these last several weeks as you turn there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been talking about the whole idea of what it means to follow Jesus. <coughs> we said over and over that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians. Hey, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. Maybe a better phrase I might ought to be is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you committed to what Jesus Christ was committed to? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that the body is compared to a physical or human body. And I love this. We've looked at this before, but I want to highlight this once again so we can get an understanding. If you've been somewhat new into our fellowship, I want you to see how God looks at the body of Christ. Beginning of verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body through many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Let me stop right there just for a moment. You get the idea, it says every one of us are part of a body when it comes to the local church. And I love that down in verse 18 where it says, God has placed each one into the body as what? As he saw fit to place it. And I absolutely believe this, that if God has placed you here, it's not by accident. I believe that he has a reason and a, and a will for you in being part of that body. Now sometimes you look around and say, man, what's my function? I don't know. Some of you are looking at someone else and say, they're an armpit. I mean, some of you are a smelly foot. I don't know. But I know that this, when you're part of the body, you have a function. And... The important thing is that we fulfill our function. You see, the eye can't hear. The eye looks and sees things. The ear hears. The, the ear hears. Your hand, I mean, I mean, think about this. Just for a moment. God designed it as a, in a perfect way for everything to work together for good, right? So can you imagine reaching down to pick up a box with one arm? Aren't you glad he gave you two? I mean, can you imagine going on a, going on a 50-yard dash with one leg? I'm glad he gave you two. He designed your bodies perfectly to function correctly. So the question I have to ask is, if you're committed to the body, what is it that God has for you to do as part of the body? If you're committed to following Jesus Christ, what is it that God wants you to do as being part of this local body? Sometimes, and I've heard it before and I've heard it many times, is that, well, it's time for another younger generation to you know, pick up the pieces. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit back and relax now. Where do you find that in Scripture? It all sounds good. Well, I'm tired. It's someone else's job. No, it's not anybody quitting. It's like teach the younger generation and encourage them to come alongside you and we all go till God calls us or we die. Right? It's not a matter of just saying, well, I've done my duty. Someone else's turn. Pick it up. Go. I'm going to sit back and rest. I've said it many times over the years. When we do different activities, I believe that every one of us can be involved and ought to be involved in every activity we do. And here's what I mean by that. Can everybody be at the church when we're doing an activity? No. But everyone can pray. And if you can't get out and walk through the neighborhoods and invite people, 
come to the church and pray while the other ones that can walk can. There's something for all of us to do if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to be committed to the body of Christ. It's not just for a select few who have been mysteriously called of God to do these certain things. God has called all of us as believers, right? Do we believe that? Then why aren't we doing it as a whole? Why is it that we look around the church and say, boy, so-and-so is really good at that, or so-and-so is really good at this? Why isn't all of us working together? We need to be working together. And God has you, it says in verse 18, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. If you're here, it's not by accident. So what is it that God has for you to do in being a part of this body? Then going on verse 19, it says this, and if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Stop right there for a moment. None of us, as being part of this body, has the ability or the right to or the prerogative to say, well, you're not needed. Or you're not needed. Or you can't do this. Or you can't do that. The bottom line is we are all one put together to do the will of God. So the bottom line is, once again, we don't have the right to say, well, you're not needed or you're not needed. We're all needed. <coughs> Every one of us <coughs> ought to be doing something. Every one of us has a role to play, just like every part of our body has a role to play. Your feet carry out a function. Your eyes carry out a function. Your ears carry out a function. Those of you that have hair in your head, it carries out a function. The bottom line is every part of our body has a function, and they're all necessary. So every one of you, without fail, every one of you, have a function in the local church. You're all needed. Let's go on here. Verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weak and are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe those with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. Wait a minute. Verse 25. Let me read that again. So that there would be no division in the body. That means we're supposed to all get along. We're all supposed to work together. We're all supposed to be unified. I wonder what would be accomplished in more churches across America if there'd be more unity. If we didn't all have an agenda that's we're trying to promote above someone else's agenda. <coughs> Let me just say this. I'm thankful to God. And I say often when pastors get together and they do every so often, how's your church doing? I'm often humbled, and I really am, that we don't have a bunch of fighting going on. I really don't see it. I, at least I don't think it's there. I don't see it. I'm thankful for a church that has, relatively speaking, a good bit of unity. Am I saying that everybody agrees with everybody 100% of the time? No. That, that would be perfection. But I'm saying we, generally speaking, we work in unity. And I'm thankful for that. And we should have that. But verse 26 says, So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know what I love to hear is when somebody is, somebody is honored with an award, we rejoice with them. Somebody gets a new car, I rejoice with them. If somebody is able to upgrade their home, 
Wonderful. That's so exciting. I'm thankful for God how blessed is. And when somebody's hurting, they're going through cancer, guess what? We hurt with them. And we struggle with them. And we weep with them. Why? Because we're a body. You don't say when your back hurts, well, I guess I'm just laid up for life. No. Your other body parts pick up. Your legs are, you know, compensate a little bit. Your, your upper body compensates a little bit. And you get tools sometimes to compensate. We help each other. We compensate. When something hurts, we all hurt. That's the body of Christ. And if we're really followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be committed to the local body of Christ. The body has many parts, but it has specific functions. What's your function? The body shares a sense of dependency to work in unity. Are you depending on and working with others around you? The body has no excess or wasted parts. Every part is necessary. You're necessary. And the body, when healthy, functions as one. And when we function as one, more is accomplished. So what are the purposes and functions of the church? Well, it's, it, it's uh, to equip God's people to do God's work. I'm thankful. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians just for a moment. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 10, so when we think about being a body member, a part of the body in the local church, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You realize that God has for us to be part of his work. Part of his work. So which part of his work are you being faithful to and being committed to? And if you turn over just a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 4, says, and he himself, verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and here's why, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So there's another time, Ephesians 2.10, so we're created for good works in Christ Jesus. Now he says you give in a church and you give in leadership in a church to equip the saints, that's the believers, those who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, to do the work of the ministry. And then verse 13, until we all reach into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we'll be no longer children tossed by waves and, and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into, the, into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by the every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of its individual part. What's he saying here? Every one of us are joined together just as a body is joined together with muscle and ligaments and tendons. Every one of us are joined together. Every one of us are necessary. Every one of us has a function. Every one of us has a job to do. Every one of us work together. And notice what happens when you do it, when that happens. It says we grow. We grow. Who would love to grow? I mean, you think that if you're not growing, something's wrong. I mean, how many of us would have a child that just stayed at, you know, that cute little eight pounds, three ounces for the next 14 years? You say something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Right. Because healthy things, what? Grow. 
Why should it be any different for a church? Because when we're all working together, carrying out the will of God, healthy things grow. And when something's not growing, we have to ask why. Are there some things that are not taking place that need to take place? Is there some parts that are not functioning correctly? See, once again, it's not just the foot being a foot. It's not just the arm being an arm and one eye being an eye. It's every part working together. And it's, once again, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, it's not an accident. God has a purpose and a reason. There have been times over the years where I've prayed specifically for a certain type of individual to come into our church body. So, Lord, we need a that could really take up this area of ministry. And you'd pray, and you'd pray, and you'd pray, and say, Lord, why not? We need this area. And the Lord would just kind of remind me, who needs it, you or me? And then a little while later, God would bring along that person who would do that ministry. God's timing is perfect. And who he brings in is usually perfect for the body. Amazing how God does that. But over and over, God reminds us that we're all significant parts of the body, called to do what he's asked us to do. And James 1 reminds us that faith without works is what? Dead. It's non-existent. It's like saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, but no, I don't serve. I mean, that's, I've, I've done my time. Oh, no, I'm not really good at that. I'll let someone else do it. Boy, that sounds so pious. I mean, so hum, hum, humble, right? I'll let someone else do that. They're better than that than me. Well, maybe God wants you to trust him and take that step and learn how to do it. You know, it's amazing how for years we joke about nursery workers. And you know what? It doesn't matter what the size church. Somebody was telling me about a church in North Carolina or South Carolina that runs 16,000 people. You know what their biggest need is every Sunday? I mean, you don't need a PhD in nursery psychology. I mean, you just need to be available and have some wits about you and have fun with the kids. But it's one of the biggest needs is just people to help out in the areas of ministry. But that's someone else's job. That's the daycare center. Drop off my kids and go. What does God want you to do? How has God even gifted you or maybe how has he not gifted you that he wants you to learn and grow in? We have certain people that are talented in certain areas in the, every body. of. It's amazing. When we were in Tippecanoe, Indiana, we used to do a roof every summer. We had one of the folks in our church that would need a roof. And we, out of the just kindness of our hearts, would say, you provide the material, we'll provide the labor. But we had a guy in our church that had a lumber yard, and we had another guy in our church that did construction, and this guy did construction, and this guy did construction. And we'd go over there on a Saturday morning, all the ladies would come and they'd set up a big table with food and snacks and drinks and everything else. All the guys would get up on the roof. We'd tear that entire roof off by noon. Go down and eat. And after lunch, by 4 o'clock, we were buttoning up the whole entire roof. The church coming together to help someone in need. That church had all kinds of contractors and or construction workers. That's not this church. Every church is different. You ever notice that? Every church is different. But every church can accomplish something great for God. It might not be the church full of contractors or construction workers. 
you know, I looked down a couple of the churches in the city and I got some friends that said their entire church is full of computer geeks. They got the greatest technology. It never breaks down because they eat, breathe, sleep, drink technology. That's not us. We got some guys that do a great job. Every church is different. You ever notice that? Some churches, they're all about the food pantry. Their whole entire ministry is about the food pantry. Need those churches. Every church is needed. Every church is necessary. But the church that God wants us to be is the church where everybody says, I'll do my part. I'll function as God wants me to function. I'll do what God has asked me to do. That's the church we need to be in. <coughs> Going on here. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 for a moment, please. Acts chapter 2. Some of you knew you had to be going there at some point in the message. You had to get over there. So here we are, Acts chapter 2, just for a moment. I want to begin reading verse 41. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And let me just say, there are a lot of churches that grow by problems. This church has a problem, so they all go to this church and they grow. And then this church has a problem, they all go to that church, and that church grows. That's not the picture we see here in Acts 2.41. The Holy Spirit was at work drawing souls into himself and people got saved and baptized and the church growth. That's the best kind of growth. Right? Where, where people are actually getting saved and following the Lord in, in salvation. But here's what happens when a church begins to function correctly. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as many as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see the model of the church here. They preached the gospel message and people accepted it. And let me just say this, verse 41, 42 says, So those who accepted his message, there are a lot of people who don't accept the message. I can't control that, neither can you. But we have to be faithful in proclaiming the message. And let the Holy Spirit do its job of drawing people to himself. But it says they preached the gospel message and people accepted it here. And so, as I said before, I struggle with the emphasis of some churches. Is it our focus to do six this, or seven that, or eight this? Man, that would wear me out. Just so you know. I mean, if you haven't figured me out in seven years, you probably won't. I don't do six this, seven that, nine this. I just, that's not my, how, I, how my brain functions. But some churches are all about the self-help, or the self-esteem, or six steps to this, and nine, nine characteristics of that. The bottom line is, the Word of God is what changes hearts and people. It's the Word of God and people opening their hearts to it and their willingness to acknowledge what God is trying to do in their hearts and lives and responding to it that will change a life. That's what is needed. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, according to Hebrews 4.12. And 2 Timothy 3 reminds us that the Word of God is so profitable in so many areas. I won't take the time to look at all the verses. We'll be here all morning, but what is the focus? 
should be the gospel and the word of God and the whole counsel of God, not just parts of it. It's all necessary. So they preached the gospel message and people accepted it. Number two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We see that in verse 42. In other words, what was truth, they devoted themselves to it. They committed themselves to truth. And folks, we have to know the truth. In fact, let me just kind of give you a side verse to go along with that. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, it says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You better know the truth. Because if you don't, you're going to be easily swayed by anybody that comes along with a good, convincing case. And let me just tell you, there are a lot of preachers who can convince you with their charisma, with their personality, with their emphasis on what they believe. And boy, by the time you get done, it's like, man, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You better know the truth. You better know it. And the only way for you to truly know the truth is to get in it. You have to spend time in this. And there's no shortcuts for that. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number three, they fellowship with God's people. That is so important. Do we have a time of fellowship with God's people? And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I mean throughout the week, do you encourage one another, pray for one another, lift up one another? <coughs> in, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that the name of the so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. He said, What is it? We live in a difficult world. We live in a world where sin abounds. We live in a world where Satan is at work, right? You need the encouragement of one another. Where do you find that? You don't find it too much in the lost world. You find it with God's people. So he says, Encourage each other while it is still called today. So they fellowship with God's people. Number four, they observed two ordinances. They came together for the breaking of bread and for baptism. Why? They celebrated that. I'll never forget, as I shared with someone the other day, how in Weagamal Lake in, in, in Canada, we were way out in the middle of bush country. We flew for hours over treetops and finally landed on this little dirt strip in the middle of nowhere. And there was what they called revival meetings, village revival meetings with the with the. Uh, the the black, black something Indians, I forget what they were, black something, Black Hawk Indians and uh, Ojibwe Indians. And they were speaking in their language. And those meetings lasted for 25 people for four to five hours every night. There were only 600 people in that, in that entire island of, of Weagamal Lake. But Friday night, God worked and like six people got saved. Somehow between Friday night at midnight when the service was over and Saturday morning at 8 in the morning in frigid cold lake water, the entire village found out there was going to be a baptism. 600 people lined the lake shore to watch this little church of 20 or 25 people do a baptismal service. And it was so amazing to watch these six people walk out into that frigid cold water and begin to share what God had done in their life in their native tongue, and then to get baptized in front of the entire group. What's the importance of the ordinances? We come together to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? It's a look forward to when he's going to come back again, but it's a look back to what he's done. And he says we do this until he comes, and then baptism is a public proclamation of what has taken place privately in my life. My faith 
becomes public at that point where I'm willing to stand in the water and, and form the cross and go under the water just like Christ did on the cross. He died and he was buried and he rose again. And it's a public testimony of what's taking place privately in my life. It's so important that a church does that. I had an individual come up to me one time and he said, Pastor, I really want to be baptized. And I said, that's wonderful. Because I, I knew that he got gotten saved. We had talked about it numerous times. I knew he got saved. He goes, but I really don't want to do it in front of anybody. Is there any way we could come to the church at like 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and do it by myself? And I said, no. He said, well, you're hard-nosed. Yeah, I kind of am. But I said, it's a public proclamation. And you should not be ashamed of this. I understand you may not, may not be, go well with your family being not Baptist or not Christian or whatever. But you can't be ashamed of this. Romans 1 talks about that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he says, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, come to the church. Let's do it during a morning service. And I said, I promise you, this church will gather around you and encourage you. He says, I can't do it. Well, you miss out on an opportunity to really be a blessing to somebody. And it really comes down to pride. I'm afraid of what people will think. They observed the ordinances. In verse 42 it says they prayed. I hope that you're people that pray. The week after the flood, I made a commitment to pray more. So what does the flood death do with anything? Really, it really is nothing. It was just a catalyst that God used in my life the week before the flood, actually, the week before the flood, to show me my need to pray more as a pastor. So I started praying here at the church on Saturday nights. I started praying on Friday morning, well, continued praying on Friday mornings with some other pastors. And then on Wednesday, I prayed with another pastor. And so I just made a commitment that we're going to pray more, and we're going to pray for God's power. And it's amazing what God has done in the last several months since that, or two, three months since that. So sometimes you get a text from me, guys, Saturday night, going to the church at 8.30. Anybody want to join me? You're welcome to. If not, pray where you're at. But pray. Pray. Be people who pray. And when you pray, pray expectantly. Because he says in Hebrews, they that come to God must believe that he exists and that he is going to what? Reward them that diligently seek him. If you're not praying with an expectation that God's going to do something, don't waste your breath. I mean that. If you're going to pray and not believe that God's going to do something, there's no sense in it. If you're going to pray, pray with faith. Pray with expectation. Pray knowing that God's going to do something. It may not be what I want him to do. It may not be what I want him to do it. But God is going to do something. That's praying in faith. With an expectation that they that diligently seek him are going to be rewarded. With whatever reward God chooses. And it may be what you've been praying about. Let's get on here. Verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs are being performed through the apostles. You know what they observed? God's power. How many would love to see God's power at work in the church? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I don't really fully know what that means, but I think it means something more than just the norm, more than just everyday happenstance happenstance more than just coincidence god is doing something that's what i want to see i want to see god do something great they got to see god's hand at work i want to see god's hand at work 
I've said it a thousand times. It's really cool when God does something over there in Africa. It's really cool when God does something there in India. But it wouldn't be more cool when God does it here. I want to see God do it here. But they prayed. And they observed God's power. And then here's something else, verse 44 and 45. It says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. There is a concept. Woo! Are you saying that we should sell everything, preacher? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. When one hurts, we all hurt. And one struggles, we should all struggle with them. And if we have the ability to help them, we should. You know, we're awfully selective at times. I'll, I'll help so-and-so because they're a good friend. I'll help so-and-so because I like their kids. Their kids are cool. You ever thought about helping someone just to help them because you have the ability to? Not for any other reason than that? Some of us, I think all of us, are incredibly blessed people. How many of us doesn't have a closet full of clothes? Come on now. How many of us doesn't have 20 pairs of shoes somewhere in the closet bottom and by the front door? How many of us doesn't have a house to sleep in, a warm bed and blankets and furnaces and heaters and fireplaces? We have far more than we'll ever need. I don't know how we got on this subject the other night, but once again, we got on the subject of the Lord's Prayer, praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Come on, let's be real. Give us our daily bread when we have whole pantries full of food and freezers full of meat. We have not learned to sacrifice. We have not learned to give away so that God can re-give. Come on. We're, we are people who hoard. Not like TLC's hoarders, but we have all kinds of stuff. And we hold on and hold on and hold on. When God is saying, I can't bless you because you, you, your cup's full, man. Empty your cup and I might put some new stuff in there. Who is it that God wants you to invest in? What is it that God wants you to invest in? So these people looked at their stuff as, it's just stuff. It's just a thing. Someone needs it? Not a problem. I can do without this one. See it again in verse 46. It says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from where? House to house. They reached into their community and wanted to be a presence of Jesus in their community. Wouldn't it be awesome if our houses could be something of maybe a tool to be used for God? I think it's kind of cool. Our house has always got... I'm kind of thankful that we have a like a nine-car driveway. We could take a used car lot. I wish I could just like come out once in a while, try this key. No, the wrong key. No, this one don't work. Oh, this one's nice. Take this one. But you know what that is? It's reaching people. Opening the door to people. And I'm so thankful that my kids do that. Have an open door. Reach into your community. In verse 47, we're almost done. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Praising God. You know what they were doing? They were worshiping. They were singing. Why are you singing that song? I don't like that kind of music. 
And that goes through our minds once in a while. And it goes through my mind too once in a while, by the way. It's like, do we have to sing this verse for the third time? Seriously? Let's just move on. I want to do this so bad, and I'm going to do this one day. I'm just going to come in one day. We're going to start with the preaching and sing at the end, just to mess everybody up. <laughs> my last church was in such a routine that we'd have the offering at a certain time in every service. And so one day I decided I was just going to mess it up and just kind of do things out of order. I had like five people. They're like, offering, offering, offering. Finally, I said, I know we haven't taken the offering. We'll do it at the end. It's okay. It's really, it's all good. We don't have to do it in the same spot every week. You know, we get in such a rut. But what about coming to church and just concentrating on worshiping? Man, pastor's getting on 46 minutes. We got to get out of here. No. Setting aside the cares, the concerns the distractions, and coming to church with an idea, I want to worship God today. Not just with music, but I want to worship in the Word too. And I want God to speak to my heart. And I want God to show me something I can take with me this week. So they praise God together. And when you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have Jesus Christ within you, you can do that. And then here's the last one, verse 47. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. They grew. Because healthy things grow. And when we're functioning in the way God has for us to function, we'll move forward. The amount or the space, the distance we move, that's up to God. But may it not be so because we're not doing our part. May it not be so because we're just too lazy letting somebody else do what God wants us to do. One of the things I used to stress with my kids when they were younger was initiative. You know what that word is? Oh, I know. If I ask you to do it, you'll do it every time. I know that. I appreciate that. But when you see it sitting here and you, need it needs to, and you know it needs to go down there, just why, why do you have to ask? Don't wait for me to ask you to do it. Just do it. It's called initiative. I know all of your kids were perfect in that area, right? Sorry, guys. But it's called initiative. When we come to church, what is it that needs to be done? Maybe God will allow me to do that. Don't wait for a pastor to ask me. Don't wait for somebody to come up to me and kind of twist my arm a little bit. And if you notice, I don't twist people's arms. There was a day that I did. When I first became a pastor, I'm like, man, I got to get this done. I got to do this. Got to go here. Got to go that. It's like, man, it's just a little twist. You know, you know, you'll do this, right? You'll get this done. I can count on you, right? I realize that if I don't twist someone's arm, they stop doing it. That means they really didn't want to do it to begin with. So I quit twisting people's arms. Because if i got to twist your arm to do it, i got to keep twisting it to keep you doing it. It's not my job. It's Holy Spirit's job to lead and guide you and for you to respond. What is it that God wants you to do? So he said, what's the big deal behind all this? If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be committed to the local church. So what's the big deal? I'm going to look at one last passage in Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. It's another familiar passage, nothing new under the sun. It says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke. Oh, wait, stop right there. We want to look up here. The Bible says to provoke one another. 
Say, well, I got that down pat. I can irritate the best of them. Wait a minute. But he clarifies what we are to provoke. He says, provoke love and good works. In other words, it's the idea of I'm going to encourage those around me along with myself to love one another and to do good works. So he says, let us watch out for, there's another one, watching out for one another. Let me ask you a question. In watching out for one another, who is it that you're watching out for? Well, it's easy to say, well, if you're a Sunday school teacher, I'm going to kind of keep an eye on who's in my class, who's not in my class, regardless of the age or whatever class you may be helping with. But I'm talking about when you go home. And God lays someone on your heart. Are you watching out for them? You know, I, th- I think about Shirley Dresbeck once in a while, and I'll go over there and I'll make sure her driveway's clean, and, and I think about it, you know, and so I stop in, and once in a while I'll stop in a Betty's house, and if I see her in the window, I'll stop in just for a second. Better watch out for one another. Well, that's your job, pastor. You're a pastor. That's what pastors do. No, it doesn't have anything to do with me being a pastor. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It has something to do with me being a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? Right? Okay, all of you just said right and amen. Who are you watching out for? (laughs) I got you. Watching out for one another. That's awesome. So let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. And then it says here, verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. So as we're not to go away from church, we need the body of Christ, right? We need it. So not going away from it, neglecting it, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. I believe an even greater day is coming where we will need each other desperately. If I'm not a prophet, but I don't see things getting better in the days ahead in this world that we live in. Anybody agree? Things aren't getting better. I think think if, if, if... History unfolds itself in, in, in even greater ways. We're going to see some more trouble, more turmoil. It's not going to get better. And I think if we don't have a local body that we can be connected to, we're going to be hurting. We are stronger together than what we are apart. I hope you know that. I hope you know that you, when you are going through your struggles, you have a body, a family that you can gather on and encourage and get encouragement from. And if we're not doing that, if we're not that person, shame on us. Now, let me just put a clarifier on there. None of us can do it all. Sometimes there's an expectation that this person, boy, he's just really good at that, so we got to just keep going to him. Keep going. Go to each other. We all need each other to do our part. All of us need to fulfill our function. All of us need to be available. I realize we go through seasons of busyness, seasons of stress, seasons of change. But through it all, our one anchor is Jesus Christ and his church. That's the one anchor. That's not going to change. My question is, are you committed to it? 
I think God wants to do so much more than what is being done. I just personally believe that. But there's so much more that God wants to do if we just let him. If we would let him use us. Kind of growing up, there's always this kind of phrase, well, if God calls me, I'll surrender. Well, Why wait for the mysterious calling that may never come? Just say, just assume God wants to use you. Just assume it. Because he does. And scripture is full of verses that teach that. So it's not the matter of whether or not God wants to use you. It's a matter matter of whether or not you're going to let him use you. Are you going to be committed to his church? Because it's the church that God has ordained to carry out the purposes of God in the world that we live in. This organism, the living organism called the church, full of saved people who have given their life in commitment to Christ in a relationship with him. That's where it starts. Are you going to be committed to it? Let's pray.